Will this year be the best year of your life? Rene Kapoku graduated from Oxford, Harvard, and has now been building one of the fastest growing women's development communities in the UK. Funnily enough, um, I guess to, to share an anecdote, there was a time where things were very, very intense, just across the board for both of us. She's a creative entrepreneur, speaker, and content creator. In this podcast, we tackle personal growth, building a business with a friend, and how to ensure you can thrive for longer. I want more than just a piece. Wanna be heard from the west to the east. I worked in my craft and I prayed for my time on the scene. The man have never left my team. 19, learned the right creed. Now I'm not a right breed, but I might be. In my crease, now kids hit up my G. I'll still never sell out my theme. Well, you know about heritage. You go inherited. Don't chill with the snakes, but the flow's still venomous. Perspective is everything. So much lemonade. I don't know what a lemon is. Renee. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> Pleasure. Um, as I often do, I don't want to say always do because we haven't had enough episodes, but as I often do, <laughs> how do you describe yourself and what you do in your own words um, rather than the thing we just played? Sure thing. Um, how would I describe myself? I would describe myself as a community builder. I'm mm. very, very passionate about building communities, building healthy ecosystems, building healthy relationships. I'm a big proponent of um, the phrase, which is something I say often, that is, you can't do life alone. So I'm a very, very big, very, very passionate about community building. Um, I'm also an educator. I love education. I'm a big, big nerd, love reading, love research, all of that kind of good stuff. But I really believe in the power of education, the power of learning, the power of just finding an interest and really pursuing it authentically and passionately. Um, so that's the second word I'd use to describe myself. And then I guess the third word I would use to, how would I describe myself? A little bit eccentric, quirky, you know? Really? Yeah. I didn't get a quirky read. <laughs> Maybe I'm not paying close attention. Did you say you're quirky? Quirky, like, a little bit, not weird. Okay. Quirky. What's the difference? I think weird kind of is less wholesome. <laughs> oh, not the wholesome. I'm trolling, I'm trolling. Got it. Um, I think eccentric and quirky in the sense of, I think that when you do get to know me as in the real me behind, you know, I guess closed doors is you'd, you'd find that I'm actually somebody that's quite uh, different. Like I love memes. I love laughing. I love humor. Yeah. Um, I like doing lots of fun stuff with people. And I think sometimes when your, I guess, reputation precedes you or the work that you do precedes you, yeah. people can often think of you as those like works or those things. Yeah. Um, and I like the word quirky and eccentric because it feels like it adds more color to a person. Yeah. Wow. So I suppose today is going to be us almost peeling onions, if you like, and getting to know Layers. a bit more about you. Layers. Because the work you do is fascinating, obviously. I mean, folks saw in the video we, we just put up, um, and I feel like we have to talk about that, but I would love to find out a bit more about <laughs> you as well. But I guess in terms of to my sisters, yes. which is kind of crazy because I... I I mean, like many people watched or saw the sort of initial like, okay, this is a new thing. Yeah. And it's just grown like wildfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're getting like over, what, hundred and something thousand downloads. Yes. I mean, what what's it been like building this this community of, of sisters, essentially? Mm. Not blood sisters, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sisters, 
I mean, what unites them? What's, yeah, yeah. what's that been yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So To My Sisters is honestly, I would describe it as a privilege. Mm. Genuinely a privilege. So I guess to give a little bit of backstory into To My Sisters and how it came about. Um, to My Sisters is something I run with my co-founder, my best friend, and also my housemate, all of the things. My partner we need to talk about that, by the way. <laughs> we'll get into lots that. Lots of things. We'll get into that. Business partner, literally my other half, <laughs> platonically. Uh <laughs> <laughs> we've had allegations as it at. we've had the allegations just thought i'd clear that up yeah um but it was something that i started with my best friend of now reaching almost 12 years um and essentially started in her bedroom as a conversation between us two mm. we're both content creators in our own rights we're both people that are really passionate about women and developing women and just having these authentic conversations. And we had wanted to do something together for a while. So a couple of years back when, before we had, um, applied to university we had done no sorry a couple years back um after we had applied and gotten into university we did a joint video together on courtney's youtube channel and mm. um, that completely like soared took off people absolutely loved it and we kind of just decided to disappear behind the cameras together because we weren't really ready for that limelight we weren't really ready for i guess the responsibility that comes with developing community and kind of continued to work behind the scenes on our separate things. But then after university, after pursuing the various things that we were you know, up to, yeah. we decided that it was time to pursue something together, but most importantly, something for women, particularly at the time that we started the podcast. So we started it literally on the eve of uh, the COVID really yeah 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 literally march march 2020 yeah yeah yeah. Oh so God. that's the time that what we were day. thinking of do oh dear that's time. the time that we were thinking of doing something together and then eventually in november of that year we recorded and released the first podcast episode and the response was i don't even have the words to describe it it was unprecedented i think that's <laughs> we did not expect that was also the word of that year yeah Every right unprecedented. Like, we are in unprecedented times <laughs> unprecedented it felt like i was in a, a hollywood movie yeah um but it was genuinely unprecedented and i think what it revealed to us was this deep need for a lot of people for mm. intimate relationships a real deep need the kind of comments that we got as well as continue to get often revolve around I really want good friendships. And mm. I think that especially for women, a lot of the narratives that we often have perpetuated in our circles are around romantic relationships yeah. or, you know, um, professional pursuits. But having conversations around friendship and what it means to actually have female relationships, we found that we had tapped into something that was super relevant to a lot of people. But why, why women though? Why women? Yeah, why, why, is, why is that a passion for you? First of all, I am a woman. So, yeah. you know, I... I identify as a woman. Okay. Um, and secondly, both myself and Courtney had realized just how pivotal female relationships and female community had been for us in a lot of the things that we do. Mm. So I think, again, people often see you and see your achievements and see your works and think that this is something that you did by yourself. I know that the self-starter narrative is something that's super popular these days. Self-made. Self-made, self-started, self-contained, self-maintained, everything around self. <laughs> self-contained. <And laughs> no, but you know, the narr you know when yeah, folks are always like, you know, I did this by myself. I can't trust anybody and all that kind of stuff. I think that's something particularly for women mm. as well um, that often runs rampant in a lot of, you know, things that we see online, things that we hear about people. And I can honestly testify and say, I am not self-made. <laughs> I am not self-started. I am genuinely a, um, basically an amalgamation of the people that have poured into me and the people that have poured into me 
have been women. Of course, there's been men and of course there's been other people that have poured into me. But in terms of how much I have really benefited from having community around me, yeah. it was something that really drove me because I realized that a lot of people actually don't have access to these things. They mm. don't have access to these relationships. And a lot of people don't understand that friendships are equally as important to pour into as other relationships, whether yeah. it be romantic or professional, but friendships often fall by the wayside. And I can honestly say that through actually committing to the work of developing friendships, I have excellent friends yeah. and it's made me extremely happy. It's so, um, Rich and beautiful to see that your relationship with uh, with Courtney, as you said, like you, you know your closest friend or one of your closest friends, to see how that in turn actually, it's almost from an overflow of that that mm. this community exists for sure, which is such a beautiful thing. Yeah, because we were talking before affair about just just podcasts and folks just saying things, and obviously it's so stuff. easy to say things. I mean, I saw on Twitter today a fully grown man admitting something <laughs> ridiculous what, that he did not need to admit. Oh, I think I sake. saw that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it made me just feel like, why am I even watching this? I feel like I'm following the person that put up my TL. But anyways, <laughs> so in an age where you see a lot of that, I think to see people who, this can sound so cliche, but like mm. lived it or yeah. are living it, talking about it is pretty cool. But a part of me wonders as well, because... Mm-hmm. I don't want to say what to like working with your friend because of course it's great, but there's also that narrative that you should never do business with your friend or family. even. Right. And I have a million stories of that going wrong, but it right. seems like it's working for you somehow. So how is that going that you're, you, you're friends with your co-founder, you yep. live with your co-founder <laughs> yeah. and you work with, uh, yeah, how, how, yeah. how does that work? First of all, of course it's great. I really enjoy it and you know, all the things, um, but it is very hard. And again, it is a testament to the fact that relationships are work. Um, the great thing about the relationship that I have with Courtney is I trust that she's competent. Mm. And before anything else, especially as we were pursuing TMS as something that is a business pursuit, before anything else, I trust that Courtney is a competent person in the work that she does and the work that she produces. So I think that it's not even necessarily just about like, what's it like working with your friend, but it's like ensuring that, that there's that layer of un- understanding when we're speaking about competency and whether that person is actually fit for the role. I think that you shouldn't, when it comes to uh, working with friends and family, we should never neglect to actually uh, test for competency. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Is this like numeric test? Are these what, you know, I mean, I mean, what's comprehension? great? Comprehension. Uh, all of the, all of those things. Um, I think <laughs> what's great about um, me and Courtney's relationship is the fact that I've been able to see her competency made manifest. Mm. So in the work that she actually does as a friend, I can actually judge and say, I think that she's competent. She's a very competent business owner. She's a very competent um, editor. She's very skilled at design. And in building something like TMS, we basically built it around our specific strengths. So she's very, very skilled at content creation. She's very, very good at editing. She's very, very good at the more aesthetic leaning stuff when we're thinking about TMS. I am a hardcore researcher. I'm very interested in strategy. I love business development. I love handling clients, all of that businessy side stuff. Yeah. What really works in our relationship is the fact that we actually are competent in the specific areas that we've chosen, but also 
we actually complement each other. Yeah, your skills are your skills are complementary. Precisely, precisely. So I think that sometimes when we, you know, think about working with like friends and family and stuff, we often lead in with the, I like this person. I think it'll be great to work with them. But just because you like a person doesn't mean that it's good to work with them. Come they on. actually need to be good at what they do. And I think that can never be understated. Mm. So I think what has really helped our relationship in all of the different areas that we work together is the fact that we have complementary skills. We're good at what we do and we're actually dedicated to excellence in what we do as well. Mm. Like it's not a um, coincidence that, you know, both of us have very, very similar trajectories when we think about education, when we think about work, when we think about our other relationships. It's not a coincidence. It's actually carefully curated decisions that we've made to develop our skill set, to um, figure out what our careers might look like later on. Yeah. And because of these kind of like complementary trajectories we've had, it's made it so much easier when it you know comes to working with each other. That's the more, I guess, practical stuff. But in terms of the nitty gritty and how hard it is to have these overlapping elements of our relationship, yeah. it's hard. Like it's hard. In life, you have to pick your hard. This is the hard that we've decided to pick. It's hard in a number of ways um, in the sense that, you know, having an intimate relationship with someone can sometimes blur boundaries. It can make it really difficult to um, continue to pursue the relationship as it was before business elements came in. And it means that you have to be very dedicated to having radical, honest, transparent and hard conversations. And we have that. Gosh, that doesn't sound like a nice dinner. <laughs> <laughs> she said, you said all the, all the we'll words, all the words no, 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 I, no, no. Do you know what? We'll radical, honest, transparent, radical, honest, transparent. Okay, you have we'll the other get, pizza or. We'll get, yeah. <laughs> we like sushi. Um, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. But we'll, we'll talk about the hard stuff. There is fun stuff, but okay. I want to get through the. the no, the, do it. The I, no, I'm, I'm, in, I'm here for it. So we have, we have the tough, the tough conversations. Um, there's been some times where, you know, I've cornered Courtney and been like, yo, I'm not happy about this. So cornered, or, I'm just imagining her like. Yeah, just like <laughs> deer headlights and all that kind of stuff. But no, honestly. And there's been some times where it's like, mm. hi, Renee, we need to talk. And I'm like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm sweating. I'm stressed. I'm like. I leave the dishes out? Do you know what like, I mean? No, the accounts aren't done. Account, You're do like, you know oh. what I mean? Um, <laughs> But actually, funnily enough, um, I guess to, to share an anecdote, there was a time where things were very, very intense just across the board for both of us. Mm. And Courtney did text me and she was like, yo, we need to talk. And I was just like, OK, um, shall we talk on this particular day? She was like, no, it's really urgent. I was like, oh, damn, like it's, it's, we stressed. So I got home, sat down and she was like, you know, Renee, as much as I've really enjoyed like working with you and all that kind of stuff. I feel like we're not having fun anymore. It was very much giving, you know, married couple had hit the hump. <laughs> <laughs> married couple had hit the hump, you know, we'd lost the spark in our relationship. Got it. Hey there, just want to say thank you for listening or for watching uh, this podcast. Uh, we have a great desire to grow this podcast. And one of the ways we're going to do that is if you listening, uh, follow or if you are watching, you subscribe to the podcast. The faster it grows, um, the more guests we can get, but also the better the podcast guests. So please just do me a favor, hit the subscribe button or the follow button. Um, back to the episode. Okay. Um, and it was actually a great conversation where we kind of talked about like, you know, we had gotten to a place where we were 
running on empty, exhaust fumes. And we had not necessarily forgotten, but deprioritized having fun in our relationship because there was so much stuff to do. Yeah. And what was actually great about that was the fact that now moving forward, what's been great is the intentionality around actually having fun and pursuing that intimate relationship mm. alongside, but separately to our business relationship. So mm. we have dedicated days in the month where we actually go out and hang out as friends. It. Like there Ske- was scheduled one, in. Scheduled in. Some of them are like not scheduled in because obviously we live together so I just see her and sometimes it's a you know let's have a cup of coffee and talk about life yeah but one of my favorite days out that we did as friends we we spent the whole day together no business no TMS stuff nothing related we went to an escape room we went to brunch we went to dinner together and you'd think that because we're in each other's presence so often Mm. like yo why are we now doing this together you have nothing to say to me I have nothing to say to you but actually, run out of conversation. you know what I mean yeah. you think you'd run out of conversation considering we also run a podcast together it's like you guys are still talking to each other surely you're wow. tired um but no it was actually one of the best and actually one of our favorite shared memories where we literally just spent the day together laughing because it was just a great experience and I think in navigating relationships where there are you know these different layers there is the importance to ensure that you do prioritize that intimacy you do prioritize having fun because this business life will kill you i mean i'm i'm actually i mean kudos to you man hats (laughs) off that you can do that i don't think i can like i've worked every time i've worked with With people i really like yeah or like i'm really say paternal over i mean it happened once actually where um we hired somebody and they were they had been working with us for a little bit of time mm-hmm. and um, they were just like, oh, Mike, can I, can I have a conversation with you? So I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> one thing it I always hate, starts with one that, One thing right? I hate, when someone says, never tell me we need to talk. I hate that. Tell me what you That's want to say. That's one of my pet peeves. Because it's such a, or like, oh, uh, when, when are you free for a chat? Tell me what you want to talk I need to know about. the content of that chat <laughs> ASAP. Because i got a plan in my head. I'm a planner. I can't, you can't just say, you know, you can't just ambush me with like a, a quick oh, 6 p.m. today. Can we talk? No. <laughs> you tell me the agenda. I'll decide if I have the emotional <laughs> wherewithal to sit right, down. Right, right, Anyways, right. he says we want to have a chat. He comes to the side and he's like, um, I think people are taking advantage of you. I was oh. like. Oh, goodness. What do you mean by that? You know, and I don't want to throw anyone on the bus, but he was like, um, you know, when you ask for this and this from other members of the team, they just don't like, and they don't do it. And then you say it's fine and then you just leave it. And like that's been, I've been watching that happening for a bit of time, and I was just like, <laughs> no one had, no one had ever told me that before, so it was very like, oh. But then I think that showed me my sort of big weakness, which is if I see you as like a business whatever, then my business hat is switched on. Mm. If I see you as a family friend whatever, you don't get my business because my business mm-hmm. side is intense. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. work side is pretty intense and so and my play side is intense as well. If you are chilling at home, you you think I'm 10. Like I I'm not <laughs> a serious person at all. And I remember one time where there was a, f- a friend, ex-friend I should say. Oh no. Who we got into a kind of business relationship. Yeah. But we didn't sign a contract cuz right. who signs a contract with, with their your friends? With your friends, right? And that relationship meant a, a like minus 40K hole in our company finances because of, of course, people have different sides of the story, right? But as, as far as my side is concerned, an unintegral, unint- if that's a word, behavior on their part. But I remember thinking to myself, how is it after all my years of mm. doing projects, I'm in a position where 
I'm minus 40K. I mean, in the wider oh, scheme of things, it's not the end of the world, insane. but I'm minus 40K in the hole because I failed to kind of properly protect myself using the contract. And that wouldn't happen if it was a business relationship. Mm. So I think in my head, it's just like, okay, cool. I've just got to have one or the other. Like maybe there's people listening who are yeah. sort of more, it's got to be one or the other. And as you said, you pick your heart. That's, I think that's a brilliant point. You know, maybe this, this is just not my heart, right? Yeah, I'm yeah, just like, yeah. I can't do, do you know it, what, but, yeah. but it works for you. Yeah, no, no, completely agree. And I will caveat by saying that, you know, me and Courtney's relationship is a very special relationship because I think we're very similar in that respect. Got like it. I am very much a, when it comes to business, when it comes to work, there's yeah. a certain standard, there's a certain, um, you know, there's just a certain way that I present myself when I'm engaging in work that mm. is very serious, very competent, very much about excellence. Like I pride myself in excellence and execution. I like yeah. when things are done. When it comes to having relationships with people and having fun, CEO of fun time, let's go, <laughs> let's go, turn up. And I think that's where the quirkiness that yeah. I mentioned earlier comes from. So I think that outside of, you know, working with Courtney, there are very few people that I would work with or allow that crossover with. To happen. Because yeah. they end up preying on the weakness of yours or exactly. you just can't bring yourself to, like, if I need to dress someone down, I can't do, yeah. like, I can't do it to yep, someone I yep, consider yep. like my little brother. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of like, don't worry. And it's like, no, how, how are you going like, to raise this. a team and right. don't worry? You, know, it's you fine. wouldn't do this. You'd you be wouldn't. like, don't do that. Um, well, again, kudos to you on 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 um, managing to work together, and of course, the result of all that compromise and working together is brilliant. Because, like I said, the platform you've built is brilliant, and I just pray it goes from from strength to strength. We're going to try and get Courtney on on at some stage as well to find out a bit about her story. But um, yeah, you guys are just doing amazing work. Thank you. Um, I did have one question though, which is yeah. maybe part of my uh, digital nomad thing yeah or digital minimalist thing i should say right which is what's a digital sisterhood oh digital sisterhood the <laughs> online system yeah what the is global sisterhood. What, what is that essentially we've gone with digital sisterhood because that's what's connecting us at least in terms of mechanism right now mm. so it's essentially connections with women that are seeking platonic friendships or platonic bonds with other women that transcend that sorry that transcend um time that transcends space hopefully transcends age we've got quite a range in our sisterhood which is really exciting yeah yeah well, what's the oldest what's the youngest um oldest that we've come across is around like the 45 46 region and the youngest we've come across around 15 16 Super. so we've got quite a range although we do have some poolings the 18 to 24 mark and then the 24 to 35 mark is generally where our um sisterhood is from yeah but the whole point of the digital sisterhood is that it's a sisterhood that transcends borders. I think when we think of family and family structures, we often think of very, very tight knit, close proximity, physical and in person. And whilst we do have that element in some of the experiences that we have, what's beautiful about To My Sisters is that when you mention TMS or this idea or this notion of digital sisterhood, suddenly it connects you with people that you don't know, but you know that they're probably good peoples. So for example, whenever folks like stop me in the street, or mm. for example stop Courtney and they're like I've seen your podcast I love TMS it's like oh you're a sister or we've had like experiences where we curate live experiences and people come together and it's like oh you listen to TMS you're a sister like the beehive oh <laughs> <laughs> 
Like members of the Beehive. Nah, I'm, I'm part of the Beehive. You're a part of the Beyonce Beehive. Beyonce was my top listened artist. Really? I have no clue how that happened. I think it was the gym. What? She's on one of the gym players. Your... Oh wow, the... she's your, your artist of choice. Cozy. Okay, I'm fine. Cozy. I hear it. I hear it. I hear Sorry, it. That's not how it Love goes, a good. Anyways, carry you on. tried. You tried. And that's the most important <laughs> thing in such trying times. Um, I won't say the Beehive because I'm not ready to get dragged today. I'm sure some of them are listening. They're everywhere. You know somebody, you know, and they'll be waiting. As soon as you see me, uh, hello, <laughs> somebody backed up somewhere. What did you say? What did you say about Beyonce? <laughs> if you even mention her name, what did you say about Beyonce? I don't think we're quite there yet. But no, you're getting there now. Fingers. Oh. Okay, but sorry. Some, you Beehive know what it people. is? I, think I should of, stop. I think of the extremists within yeah, the pool because yeah, yeah, I've stop. seen some very, very, um, let's just say they carry a stink. They, that beehive. Oh, look, they look carry at you. Carry a, look at there that. we go. That was good. Um, but yeah, it's so beautiful that mm. this very, this seemingly innocuous content that we share in these seemingly innocuous conversations that we have mm. connects people so deeply, especially because we have the conversations around, you know, trauma. We talk about family. We talk about, obviously relationships is what part of what we talk about, but not entirely. We talk about friendships and, you know, comparison and jealousy and all of these things that make up female experiences. Um, and I think what's beautiful about this notion of digital sisterhood, again, is it connects people without having to rely on physical proximity but then when you know it is bolstered by physical proximity it means that when you come in person and meet someone in person there's almost an implicit trust that's built or an implicit trust that we've had knowing that that person subscribes to tms or knowing Got that it. somebody is part of the digital sisterhood well I, so i i identify as a man i'm a black nigerian <laughs> male man and growing up, there was a bunch of, what do you call them? Things we believed about women. Yeah, yeah. That um, probably not true, maybe. Right. But I'm, I'm curious, as someone who kind of talks to women about women, about issues, you know, going on and, and health and wellness and, and some of the topics you cover, what do you say to this kind of idea that, oh, can, uh, you know, when you introduce two guys, they yeah. kind of click like that typically. Yeah. yeah. Or, but it takes a long time for women to click. Is that true? Or is that just sort of like, I mean, this is all anecdotal. This is part yeah. of the podcast. Yeah, 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 about yeah. What's your experience of that? I think what's interesting about that, and it's something that we touch on in the podcast, um, when we're thinking about safety for women and when yeah. we're thinking about the more, um, the big picture structural forces that can impact our interpersonal relationships. So the way that we are socialized as women, the way that we are socialized as men. And I remember having this conversation with both Courtney, but also a number of my different friends. I've had conversations with um, a number of my male friends and, you know, a number of um, my actual male family members around this whole notion of safety. Um, I think that for many women, when it comes to building relationships, safety can actually play a really big part as to our comfort and our levels of vulnerability and transparency when we do engage. And I do think that there's something to be said around, you know, obviously forces of like patriarchy. Um, but when we think about these larger forces at play when we're thinking about women's socialization, um, this can very much impact our interpersonal relationships. Yeah. And for a lot of women, myself included, it can take a little bit of time sometimes to engage with both other women, men, um, you know, all kinds of folks because of, you know, safety, because of transparency. And, you know, 
I'm a black woman, I identify as a black woman. And, you know, the intersections of race and, you know, gender can often play a very big part as to how we navigate the world and how we interact with other people. And the great thing about TMS and why it's so important to me and why, you know, we often speak about women's wellness, transparency, vulnerability is because in the outside world, the way that, you know, black women are typically socialized, we are typically socialized as, you know, very, very, um, what's the word? Uh, it's not reticent. It's like very, very withdrawn. We typically don't have a lot of safe spaces. We typically don't have places where we can gather together and feel comfortable enough to share our, you know, um, utmost and most authentic self. We don't mm -hmm. have, one of the phrases that I often use on the podcast is we don't have that place where we can come together and kick off our shoes and, you know, drink our wine together. We're not afforded these places naturally when we are, you know, within the world, within society, which means that there's this added layer of, uh, what's the word? Suspicion sometimes when we are engaging with people. But quick one. Yeah. And maybe obviously two things can be true at the same time. For sure. I don't think men have that neither. That's true. Especially that's true. black men. Oh yeah, for maybe, sure. For sure, that's maybe true. Maybe white men may be different. I don't know. For sure. But for, for as sure. a black man, when you're talking about kicking off shoes and drinking yeah. wine, I mean, you know, mine would be cranberry. That would be my drink oh, of choice. Dear. But um, <laughs> what an interesting choice, um, Mike. I feel like I, I'm learning so much about <laughs> I you. I love cranberry. Beyonce but, but, uh, cranberry juice. I know it's a bit crazy. Uh -huh. Um, but like, I don't have that, and I just wonder. I mean, I still don't have that really. Right, right. Well, I do, but I mean, black men. So, if we both go through that same thing of not having those, say, safe spaces, you know, how does that? how come it doesn't affect us the same way in terms of how we then maybe, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe black yeah, men yeah, too yeah. are super suspicious of each other. I mean, some people think, might say. Yeah, I think those, I am a major, major fan of the fact that two things can be true at once. I yeah. think that the internet doesn't afford for that. For, it's like, anyways, you're either for, right or, or I'm, I'm right. Wrong, and that's, that's it. it. That's it. You know, that two yeah. things can be true at once. And I think it is mm. a testament to the fact that again, socialization, racialization processes and, the way that it has impacted our capacity to, you know, engage as individuals. Got it. However, whilst our experiences, I wouldn't say our experiences are the same. Yeah. I think the notion of lacking safety is the same in that, you know, there are, but the way that it manifests is different. Got it. So, you know, one thing that I was um, speaking to earlier was again, this intersection of race and gender. So obviously I don't want to speak on the experiences of black men and the way that, you know, you guys navigate the world. I'm a, you know, I, I love me, my black men, <laughs> I have brothers, all that kind of stuff. Um, however, there is a privilege that's afforded to men mm. that makes it easier to navigate the world in certain circumstances and certain areas that might be unsafe for women. Hey there, just want to say thank you for listening or for watching uh, this podcast. Uh, we have a great desire to grow this podcast. And one of the ways we're going to do that is if you listening, uh, follow or if you are watching, you subscribe to the podcast. The faster it grows, um, the more guests we can get, but also the better the podcast gets. So please just do me a favor, hit the subscribe button or the follow button. Um, back to the episode. Got it. So for women, there is the, um, one of my favorite like black female activists is Claudia Jones. She's the founder of Notting Hill Carnival. She was, you know, back in the 60s, back in the um, 50s, big, big um, 
proponent of intersexual feminism. And then, of course, you have uh, Kimberly Crenshaw speaking about, you know, intersectionality. But Claudia Jones used the term double jeopardy when she was speaking about the experience of black women. So this whole notion of being a woman, one jeopardy, and then being black, another jeopardy. Another one. So I might say double homicide. There we go. (laughs) You were waiting to (laughs) use that. Sorry, I that couldn't, I couldn't resist. That was good. No, that was good. That was good. Double homicide. Um, but yeah, this whole notion of double jeopardy. Mm. And it just speaks to the fact that as black women, the lack of safety, the lack of um, the way that we navigate the world is typically different. And it means that in terms of our capacity to really be our most innermost self in communities, it can very, very much be... Um, limited like extremely extremely limited and then again it's not to say that you know black men don't experience that yeah, yeah. but they experience it differently what how did it feel i'm curious then with that in mind when you went to tanzania last yeah, year yeah how does it feel being in the kind of black majority country um i don't know if you've been to africa before yeah yeah yeah, yeah. super so you know what was that experience like for the women there was it just so because another yeah. compounding effect of the fact that in the in the uk Black people make up what three point four percent of the population. So we also we also have that minority complex. You know, we're very spread out. London is, I believe, forty percent non-white. So it probably feels very diverse. And but then you, you go you out to the outskirts. You just and... go to Kent, and you're like, oh, <laughs> where's the rest of us? So like, what did it feel like when you were in Africa? Mm. <laughs> oh my god, that sounds like such a yeah. That was a good. We went to Africa. What's Africa like? <laughs> <laughs> I was giving savior complex. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? How's Africa? Should roll up my sleeves. Africa, um, in Africa. Africa. No, what? What? Yeah. What did it feel like? In terms of that safe space, feeling right, as though right, you can right, sort of right, be yourself, right. kick off your shoes. It was a very transformative experience. Mm. I think what was interesting about the Tanzania trip was the fact that the ladies that actually accompanied us to Tanzania were from all walks of life. So we had, you know, women from the United States. We had, you know, women that were from Ghana, from Nigeria. We even had a lady who was from Australia, which was insane. Australia? Uh, there's another one. <laughs> Stop him, officer. <laughs> Crikey. Um, <laughs> Stanley, you were going to come out with that one next. Sorry. Um, but just the range of people and the different backgrounds really meant that we had the opportunity to kind of create this global hub I love amongst us as we were going to Tanzania. And I think the beauty for that, the beauty in that experience was the different capacities in which people related to that safe space. Mm. So going to a black majority country, of course, me being, you know, a member of the diaspora, um, half Nigerian, half Congolese for those folks that are interested to know. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, I always say if you're half Nigerian, you're basically full Nigerian. Yeah. <laughs> such a, such a but, dominant. I was uh, about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I don't, want, I don't want to deny you your heritage. No, I, I, I love being from both countries for mm. similar and what was the do- What was the dominant experience at home? Mm. Was it mixed or would you say it was? It was mixed, but I would say it was more dominantly Nigerian growing up. But then when I got to like my teenage years, definitely. You rebelled? Oh, I rebelled, <laughs> but also that was, you know what? That was the, the time in my life where I was reading Malcolm X. And okay, was, gotcha. You know, Black Power, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. <laughs> my little kente Na- Naturally. Naturally. Um, until I found nuance and, okay. you know, two things research. True. The there time. we go. Two things, two things are true. <laughs> but back to the Tanzania trip. <laughs> back to the Tanzania trip. Um, it was genuinely a transformative experience because it was us interacting with the diaspora there. It was us interacting in a majority black country and not feeling as though we were um, out of place. Like obviously mm. there were cultural differences, but it was the it was almost a sigh of relief for quite a few people, especially some of the African American sisters that we had brought for brought yeah, with us. It was their first time going. Um, it was their first time. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Quite a few of them at their first time. 
And again, that experience was curated so beautifully in that we did all the fun stuff. We did all the turning up. We did all of that, you know, jazz. But we also did all of the cultural experiences. We also went to go and see some of the... Um, uh, I remember a really, really emotional experience where we went to go and see some of the former slave holdings in Tanzania. Wow. Um, and that, that was probably one of the most chilling, transformative, poignant moments of that trip mm. because you have, again, ladies from across the spectrum. We've got, you know, ladies that are very, very in tune with their history, their culture, very much so. And then you've got ladies that are there trying to explore, trying to discover, trying to understand more. And it felt like almost like a a real bonding experience. Like yeah. if we weren't family before that experience, we were definitely family. And then you guys still that. kind of in in community still talking in community of... the trips the the ladies from the uh tanzania trip we, we call them the zanzi baddies that was their self-proclaimed uh <laughs> title still very much in contact we even have folks who made like really good friends with each other to the point that they've traveled together um after the trip the fact that the point that they've kept in contact after the trip and we've seen quite a few of them again and again so they come and support all of our yeah. like tms events um they've already signposted their interest in our upcoming experiences and by Amazing. signposted they if we don't come we're rebelling um and some really beautiful friendships have blossomed as a result of that experience so i love it i just love the fact that it's like you've created and this is what one of the one of the good things about democratization and the internet is <laughs> you've created a corner in the internet that's just like beautiful thank you no we honestly try but genuinely one thing that we want to stress and we've continued to stress about to my sisters is whilst we are the front faces of to my sisters whilst we are the sisters on the internet we want people to take this offline into the online sorry mm. we want people to take this um offline i think the trap of social media and the trap of sometimes um curating digital communities is they stay digital communities or they stay online and i think you know we've spoken at length about you know the dangers of allowing ourselves to be trapped by these online echo chambers these online um parasocial relationships the call to action that we have at literally the end of every episode is tap into relationships in your real life get offline once you've finished listening to the tms podcast go and grab a sister and go for coffee go and grab a sister and go and cry go and grab a sister and if you don't have any sisters this is your opportunity to build sisterhood in real life so i think whilst we are you know a digital community whilst we are very much girl power online we make it our mission yeah for this to be something that's affecting people's real lives too one thing that i don't think people do enough to your point of um sort of being black and uh, in the UK, a woman. I think this is, this is kind of, this kind of cuts across races. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, do you take time to kind of take stock? Because you went to what school? What's it called? Your, your, your secondary school. Uh, St. Anne's. St. Anne's. Or girls school in uh, Enfield, Palmer's Green. Oh gosh, long way yeah. away from here. Yeah. Enfield. <laughs> You then went on, did you stay there for sixth form? Yeah, I stayed there for sixth, sixth form. form. Yeah, yeah. Then you went to Oxford and read what? History. History. Um, what, what particular period did you did you do your dissertation on? Um, I did it on black transnational feminism. Super. As you would. In the 1950s and 60s. Okay, so 50s and 60s. Then you went to Harvard and yep. did a, a master's in? International education policy. Then you came back to the UK <laughs> and started to 
um, I guess your passions were entrepreneurship in the education space. Yeah, yeah. Started this community, grew it, you know, within two or three years, you know, it's kind of shooting up and, and growing year on year. You've just written a book. Yeah. That you guys is going to be out when? March 9th. Like, are you proud of, <laughs> of, of, of everything? I am. You've achieved. Yeah, yeah. My mom is. She's extremely proud. I think she's still stuck in like 2018 though. She's still telling people that she's a Harvard mom. I'm like, mom, that was, that was, <laughs> you got to get with the program and all that kind of stuff. No, I am very, very proud. But what, what does it take to kind of keep, you know, bettering yourself going. in that way? Funnily enough, that's actually one of my passions. This whole idea of optimization, this whole idea of self-growth and continuing to be better and chasing excellence. And I think it's a fine balance between the two, right? Of mm. taking stock, spending some time really being in the present and celebrating your wins, as well as being able to be ruthless in your pursuit of excellence. For me, I learned the latter first. I was ruthless in the pursuits of excellence because of my background. Like neither of my parents went to university um, and neither of them had even heard, like when it came to Oxford and Harvard, my parents were just happy that I got to university. But then when I told them I'm going to Oxford, my mm. mom almost collapsed. Um, but ruthless in that pursuit of excellence because I know where I, I knew where I had come from. I am somebody that's really passionate about learning. I love learning. I love the process of mastery. I love the fact that I can go from zero to a hundred in however many months or however many years it takes. I love that, you know, I feel like I have untapped potential because it keeps me going. It's like, what can I do and what can I not do? Um, I love that. Literally, I believe that I can do, maybe it's a little bit delusional, but I love that I can at least hype myself up into believing that there's nothing I can't do. Yeah. Um, the celebration element, it took me a while to get there. Yeah. In that, I think when you're used to being someone that people classify as a high achiever or somebody that people classify as just being in the pursuit of excellence, you're constantly onto the next thing. It's very much about, it almost becomes a high, right? It's mm. like, I've done this, what can I do next? I've done this, what can I do next? Oh my mm. gosh, I mastered this, what can I do next? But sometimes there's so much beauty to be learnt in stillness. Um, and there's so much to be learnt in really just taking time. Mm. And I learned that actually more so the last two to three years or so. Um, last year was the first time I actually celebrated my birthday like properly in a big party and all of that kind of good stuff. It was also one of the years that I actually like, you know, went on holidays, like multiple holidays to just do and be. Mm. Um, it was the first time that I actually really spent time with my friends in the sense of booking time to spend like days with my friends and oh, wow. build those like real in-depth intentional relationships. Because mm. I do think that many of us have friends out of convenience, right? You know, we go to school with them or like we happen to chance a across them online or um, we meet them at work or whatnot. But the last two years have been the years where I've really said, yo, you, I consider you a friend to me and you consider me a friend to you. In our relationship, what do we need to do to make sure that we're both mm. intentionally building this relationship and having depth to it? And that has been such a beautiful process for me because I've learned so much about people. Um, and I've really just enjoyed like hanging out with people with no strings attached. It's not like I'm revising with you or like we're doing something together. Just yeah. being in people's presence and really enjoying the present um, has actually helped and facilitated so much more self-growth than I could have anticipated. Um, 
because there's a patience that's brought out of being in the present, right? You need to really understand what it means to actually just, you know, sit toe to toe with someone or shoulder to shoulder and be like, what's good? What's going on? Um, so that whole celebratory piece, that whole like chill, <laughs> like let's do that. That's new to me. Yeah. Um, and I've loved it so far because it means it's also taken off the pressure a little bit. I think, again, um, you know, my background and pursuit of excellence and being that high achiever, when you become known for it and associated with, you know, being a high achiever and being a perfectionist as well, it can be so hard to detach your identity from being a perfectionist yeah. to the point where it's like people don't even think that you're real because you're doing all this great stuff. And then it becomes really hard to reconcile that with the fact that sometimes you do mess up. Um, you know, it becomes really hard to reconcile with that, with the fact that, you know, sometimes you're not always at a hundred and then suddenly your entire identity is rooted in how much you can prove, how much you can provide, how much you can um, create and not mm. just in being. So what's actually been beautiful about taking stock and taking time to be still and just, you know, being present has allowed me to detach my identity from being a perfectionist. And it has allowed me to be a person, like That's be good. a person. Yeah. And I remember there's one quote that we shared on um, one of our podcast episodes that has stayed with me forever, which is, you are a human being before you're a human doing. And I was just like, wow. Be, like actually be. It sounds so cliche and so like yeah. unnecessarily, um, what's the word, pretentious. But actually just being, like after you've done a thing or achieved a thing, just be and yeah. actually exist as a person. I think has been so pivotal to accelerating so much growth. So even thinking about something like to my sisters or thinking about all of the other things that I do, having those cultivated moments where I can just be Renee without yeah. doing Renee, man. Yeah, it changes things. I'm so glad you're gone on that journey. I'm, I'm, I've, I've gone on the journey. I've come <laughs> off the journey. I've up and down, it's up an, and down. It's, it's a sliding scale. Because it, um, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's easy to do things. And like, it's just way straightforward. Being taps into this other part of you that's right. not as simple. It's not as, and I, I personally don't like, like l sitting down and <laughs> sort of doing nothing. Um, you know, but I've learned you don't have to like that though. I mean, yeah, when I was in America, true. just not too long ago with my niece and nephew, um, Spent a lot of time with them. And so I wasn't working, but I wasn't also sitting there doing nothing. Mm. I was chasing them. I was pr proving that yeah, I can do yeah. cartwheels just like, you know, just like the five-year-old can. She's like, can you do this? I was like, yes, I can. <laughs> so, like, you know, so, that, but that's a different side. Um, recently, I think I, <laughs> I put it on Instagram, Ma oh, mainly because no. I just got back from holidays. I'm working sort of a lot right now. And um, I found out, or I, I realized this kind of interesting thing, which was I would get home, say 8 p.m., 9 p.m., I'd be like, let me watch something. I put it on. The minute it comes on, I fall asleep. And I was like, why am I always falling asleep yeah, when yeah. it's time to like relax? Yeah. Like I'm either working or sleeping. And it's like, where's the sort of that middle point? The middle of like point. Watching yeah, a yeah, film, yeah. Mm -hmm. getting up, being like, it wasn't that good. I trying to make it for a film these days. It's like, a, let's go. I'm, oh, I'll, I'll no. fall asleep. So, and then the friend, uh, you, know, you know, people are suggesting reasons why. Some guy told me about like chemical. I said, oh no, just you gotta bit. stop those you ones. Know, but one guy said something which was really fascinating. He was like, have you ever thought of not working till exhaustion? Mm -hmm. You know, he said like, you know, finishing work mm -hmm. and like 
you're not tired you're just mm-hmm. done with work mm-hmm. in my head that doesn't exist you work especially if you found something or you're responsible for you know something you you just kind of work until you can't work anymore rather than i'm done for the day mm-hmm. like it's three i said i would work till three i'm done yeah that's that doesn't happen so that was a whole journey that i'm going on even now like what does it look like to be done at a time and then to actually do other things um and oddly enough i was having coffee with a friend yesterday in, in central and we were saying it probably because he, he just had a child so he's oh, always nice. sort of with his child and we were saying it, it can feel like you have less time which is obviously very disconcerting disconcerting if you're someone who wants to you know do stuff mm-hmm. but it it actually can make you a much better say ceo or, or or at your job because because you're you're not that close to the issue anymore. I think when we're, you know, I love detail. So if you obsess over detail, sometime you're just too close to it. Right. So you can't see it. You can't critically appraise it. You can't really measure. You're just too in. So when you come out, or you have less time, or you're forced to take time off, mm. you come back with fresh eyes. You have less time, and even still making decisions with like constrained time, I think makes you a better decision maker because you don't spend a million years ruminating or um, thinking about an issue such that you have the whole analysis paralysis thing. So I really hope people listening, but also you like take more time and go on more holidays and more sort of uh, walks. Oh, the funny thing is I'm a big walker. And as you were speaking- To the train station. (laughs) No, I'm actually a big walker, like like a a big hiker. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quirky, pretty cool. Are you a quirky, rambler? She's <laughs> quirky, quirky, quirky. I told you. No, I told you. I'm quirky. <laughs> you should join the um, ramblers. They walk for hours. Really? Yeah, that sounds like, like it would be up my street. Like two, three, four hours. I actually like walks. annoy my friends and family because I'm that person that will take like a two, three hour walk just in the middle of the day because That's I super think. cool. I want to think. And I like, obviously I hate it now because the UK is an absolute cesspit of like cold weather and it makes me sick. I but love the cold. Really? Because it punishes... People who don't prepare. <laughs> That's also why I like the rain. No. Prepare. Um, if you wear a good jacket and a no, scarf, why do you no, hate the cold? No. Hey there. Just want to say thank you for listening or for watching uh, this podcast. Uh, we have a great desire to grow this podcast. And one of the ways we're going to do that is if you listening, uh, follow. Or if you are watching, you subscribe to the podcast. The faster it grows, um, the more guests we can get, but also the better the podcast gets. So please, just do me a favor, hit the subscribe button or the follow button. Um, back to the episode. No, no, I like... And it's the code that makes summer nice. Look, if you'd like to be, if you want to join David Attenborough and become like his weather counselor. here we have the, sorry. So you were saying that you like no, walking, um, it's I, cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the point that you made around not working till, fa- till fa- failure. Um, I'm a massive, like, I love strength training. I love weightlifting, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm also a big nerd researcher. So I'll be out here researching all the things that I do just to optimize, you know, self-growth, all that kind of stuff. Consistency, as they say. Yeah. And what's interesting about, um, strength training is to maximize your strength you need to know when to go to failure and when it's inappropriate to go to failure as well and you know what it's, it's typical for a lot of people to go to the gym and be like i'm just gonna work until i feel tired yeah i'm gonna work until, until i'm feel exhausted until, yeah. and then you know classic day after rolls around all of a sudden i can't use my legs i'm tired and it actually hampers the intensity of your you know um succeeding workout correct 
it really reminded me of that. And it's funny because a lot of like my deepest sentiments come when I'm working out or walking. Those are the two times where it's like, oh, lightning of inspiration strikes or transferable um, understanding comes and hits me. Um, but I think it's important that when we are working and thinking about workload and thinking about um, how we perceive our strengths and how we can build up our strengths as individuals, mm. knowing how to honor the boundaries that we give to ourselves and knowing how to honor ourselves as well, because it's not just a um, mental thing of being able to um, perform at your best when it's time to show up, but it's also about understanding whenever I pushed myself physically too, because there's the element of tiredness, exhaustion, there's the... Um, physiological ramifications of not honoring your body and not honoring the boundaries that you set yourself. And I love the fact that you actually mentioned, you know, giving yourself these deadlines and giving yourself these boundaries makes you a better, better decision maker because it does, it gives you, um, that distance. And I think that that's a thing that many of us don't have these days. We no. are just in close proximity to everything all, all the, the time. time. Literally 24 seven. 24 seven. Even thinking about like social media. One of the things that I've done over the past like three years or so is I don't use social media before 12. And that's been great. Really? I don't hear about all, look, you, I'd be turning on my phone and I used to be having notifications on like news, Twitter, Instagram, this, that, that, that stressful. Yeah. And I need to use my phone to like contact loved ones in the morning or like listen to those podcasts that, that you hate, um, all these kind of <laughs> good Full circle, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and I don't want to be mentally bombarded or feel exhausted yeah. through these interactions that I'm constantly around. And, um, it's funny because we actually recorded a podcast episode, which was all about managing your time, managing your energy, but also curating your consumption and yeah. um, honoring your boundaries. And I think that one of the things that has helped me as an individual, but also I think really helps people is being very, very intentional about what you consume and when you consume it and the closeness at which you consume it too. So if it is, you know, giving yourself those deadlines when you're working and saying, you know, at 3 p.m., there's no more work. And at 4 p.m. I'm out here, you know, watching Netflix or something. I like back in the day, I was definitely also a workaholic and it's something that ebbs and flows. There will be intense periods. Um, but now 6 p.m. When 6 p.m. comes, you will not find Renee at work mm. at any kind of work unless it's like very, very um, important or like there's been some kind of extenuating circumstances or whatnot. After 6 p.m., Renee is watching Netflix. Renee is baking. Renee is going on a long walk. Renee is having the time of her <laughs> life I and love she that. loves it. And that will help you last for longer. Last so much you longer. Don't, you don't start to loathe it. You don't start to hate the work. You don't start exactly, to Exactly, exactly. And I think, I don't know, speaking from my experience, again, as, you know, a black woman, that, like, almost innate need to like mm. prove myself or that innate need to um, overcome or overachieve. It feels like it's almost programmed in you because of, you know, the way that society has just gone down. Rebelling has looked like rest. Like rebelling against that has looked like rest for me. And I love that for me. I feel so much more well rested. I feel so much more present. Like when I have conversation with my friends and families, like mm. actually enjoying time with them because my head is not doing like 10,000 miles per hour thinking about some mm. other thing. Um, prioritizing rest has been such a game changer for me because it means that I can show up as my best self when I need to. So good. I feel like I should say, what can we expect from you? But oh. I feel like such a, like a no. Um, 
Okay, so what I would love you to do, mm. which is uh, we haven't really done this before. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, so no, not me being, so I know, I was like, not me You're being like, the guinea pig. What's happening? <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> this is mockery. Let's get that. No, what I want you to do <laughs> is speak to Renee and St. Anne's. Oh, so she's in, she's in St. Anne's. She's 18. It's probably 17. Um, yep, yep, yep. What would you say to her? The first thing that I would say is chill out. Girl, you are doing entirely too much. <laughs> Calm down. Like, I was stressed to death when I was 16 slash 17, just thinking about the future, thinking about if I'd get into, I think at the time that's when I was applying to Oxford, thinking about whether I'd be able to get in, especially because there, there was no one in my school that had been to Oxford before. So I was the guinea pig. Mm. Um, chill out, chill out and really enjoy the process. I know that's so cliche, but... The process is often more important than the destination. And actually the process of applying to Oxford, the pro- the process of shooting in the dark when it came to Harvard, the process of building TMS, the process of, you know, all of these wonderful, weird and cool opportunities that I've been able to do have built the Renee of today. So chill out and enjoy the process. Um, what else would I say to my younger self? Go outside and have some more fun. Like really, really go for it. I think that um, sometimes, especially in my earlier days, I was very hesitant to enter spaces as my full self. I think what I what I really remember is when I showed up to Oxford the first day, my family had all come. There were no black people at that time. N- zero. Everyone was just looking very, very um, white. <laughs> everyone looked white and everyone looked like they were absolutely like men just wealthy just riches and like that was definitely not my background mm. um and i often referred to myself as the uh chocolate chip in the cookie and that was to be my <laughs> sure <laughs> i see where that you're was, going there. that was to be my quirky um that was to be my experience for a lot of my university education where i was entering spaces where i was the only one of or i was the minority and all that kind of stuff renee that is 17 18 enter as your full self because it's your full self that is bringing the color to these conversations it's your full self that's bringing um the interest the divergence in opinions divergence in thinking i was too afraid to stand out which meant that i actually minimized myself which was a real shame because it was literally i think in my like towards the end of my second year that I really thrived because I basically got to the point where I was just like, this is not working for me anymore. I'm done here. Like I'm just going to do me and completely thrived. Like really, really went for it. Loved my third year completely. That was the year that I probably did the best. In fact, I definitely did the best in my third year. First year, oh God. Um, But I wish I had maintained that consistently across all of my pursuits. So really stepping into spaces, going to like talks and workshops and conversations and different job opportunities and different, um, different spaces and just being myself, like really... Renee, everything that I am. Renee, that is quirky, funny, cool. Um, well, I think I'm cool. Renee, that is. We can, uh, we can, we can test that. <laughs> you were like, I need some character references. I was like, I'm going to need a few, a few blind, uh, yeah, some um, references. So yeah, I would definitely say like step into those spaces, knowing that a you deserve to be there, but b you have something to bring. Like just even if it's just to bring your, are you're right. <laughs> even if it's to bring. Um, 
just your different perspective, like really, really just go for it. Um, and then the last thing that I would say to my 16, 17, 18 year old self, you're good at what you do. You're actually really competent. I think even in the chasing of the perfectionism and in the chasing of the different things that I wanted to do, mm. I never actually thought that I was good enough. And I constantly was getting from like friends, family, oh, you're killing it, smashing it. Yeah, go Renee, all that kind of stuff. But Renee didn't believe it. And I needed Renee to believe that she was good at what she did because it's only an understanding and really like internalizing that you're good at what you do, that you can articulate to other people that you're good at what you do and that you can actually be that. I was constantly thinking, I was constantly insecure that yeah. my best wasn't good enough, but actually, I was and I still am extremely competent. I have a lot to learn and I'm embracing the fact that I still will always have to go on this journey of lifelong learning. But where I currently am now, where I was before, I was extremely competent and I wish I knew that. Thanks so much for doing this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I want more than just a piece. Wanna be heard from the west to the east I worked in my craft and I prayed for my time on the scene The man have never left my team, 19, love the right creed Nah, I'm not a right breed, but I might be In my crease, now kids hit up my G I'll still never sell out my theme Well, you know about heritage, you go inherited Don't chill with the snakes, but the flow's still venomous Perspective is everything, so much lemonade I don't know what a lemon is